This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, I'm Carolyn Ford. Thanks for joining us for So What? Tech Transforms Federal News Roundup, sponsored by Dynatrace, where every month Tracy Bannon, Senior Principal at MITRE, joins me to co-host So What? And together, we unpack some of the biggest trending news topics in the federal technology space. This month, we're hosting Elizabeth Varghese, Global and America's Leader, Client Offerings in Talent and HR Strategy at IBM. And outside of IBM, she's an active board member at South Asian Youth Action, a nonprofit providing after-school programming, education, and college support. And she was recognized as global top 100 influencer in HR for 2020. And we are glad to have you joining us today, Elizabeth, to discuss returning to the office, the great resignation, and companies potentially switching to a four-day work week, hybrid, all of that. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you? Great. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Uh, wonderful and delighted to be here. And great to be back on here with Tracy as well, a friend from a couple of years ago as we've been going to some of these pandemic podcasts. So thank you for <laughs> inviting me. And I am looking forward to this. Yes, well, this one's going to be a fun one, and it might get a little heated. I've already seen some stuff on LinkedIn that I'm like, oh, that gets my blood boiling (laughs) (laughs) about returning to the office. And I want to start off with a question um, around there's there's an article called Three Ways the Future of Work Must Change for Federal Employees. Um, And the article states that at the end of the day, we need to have an IT and HR alliance And this was due to exceptional communication between the agency's chief information officer and HR functions. In your experience, Elizabeth, is the relationship between IT and HR something government agencies need to improve on and and industry too? Now, what we've seen, you know, that the pandemic has highlighted, right? So nothing new. This was happening for a while. I have to preface it with that because I think, you know, in lots of our conversations, we have this, uh, we, we hear this thing about, hey, this is what the pandemic caused, right? Pandemic caused a lot of suffering and uh, hardship for many people, but it highlighted things that were in play for many, many years. And the fact, you know, the intersection of HR data and how IT is using it and accessing it has been an eternal problem. It's been, you know, going on for many years, right? But it came to, things came to head when we were forced to be virtual in the federal sector and in the commercial sector. And people realized that that intersection hadn't really been um, explored. It hadn't been addressed. It hadn't been managed in a sufficiently coherent fashion, right? Um, And there there were a couple of reasons for that. Um, And some folks, um, you know, in the federal sector or commercial, I mean, the reason I say that is, uh, because this is a universal problem, right? It's not endemic, just to one sector, and we should take hope of that. Um, but, you know, when the pandemic hit, um, there were lots of tropes, and even before that, around, you know, what can be done remotely? What data can be accessed in what fashion? What is secure or not? 
And what the pandemic highlighted is that those issues were not really based upon real cybersecurity issues or access issues or single sign-on issues. They were really managed, you know, or impacted by cultural constructs of where work can be done. <laughs> A great example of this is, you know, if you think about our friends on Wall Street, right, you could not do investment banking or trading from working from home. It's impossible. There were so many reasons for that. All of them good. But come March 15th, monitors were shipped to basements in Westport and patios in Westchester County. And, you know, Wall Street just continued. So we really found that it wasn't, you know, can it be done? It was more of do we want it to be done? And I think that is the question that was highlighted, you know, through the pandemic in the federal sector as well. Are we really understanding what technology can do and are we using it to really manage HR data? So that's kind of what I've seen. Tracy would love your thoughts too. I know you've been working at this intersection for a while as well. Yes. It, it, it struck me as strange when the pandemic hit because I've had remote teams and for, I think it was 2009, 2010, was completely remote with global teams, everybody geographically dispersed. Yeah. So it was first nature to me, but I never realized with other IT workers how much they did not get that opportunity. Um, so when we got into the pandemic and I realized different organizations and I changed my job just before the pandemic. And what I was starting to realize is how campus-centric or office-centric some of the cultures could be. Even inside a big organization, you can have subcultures, subgroups that really do form these tight bonds. And they, whether it's going out to lunch or whether it's meeting up at the water cooler or what have you, there is, there or was this just a sense. It was a cultural sense that they built together. Uh, and that was hard for them, hard for everyone to learn. How do I emulate that? How do I replace that now that I'm working remotely? So, Elizabeth, if you and I were going to walk to the water cooler and we were going to make a deal or we were going to talk about something or some new topic that we want to research, how did people do that or how did they start to do that during the pandemic? What did what did some of the research show on how people are engaging now? So for the company, so people have engaged, as you said, remotely even before the pandemic, right? There were virtual teams and there were lots of collaboration tools. Now, if I give you the example or the experience that I have as an IBM employee, right, much like you, Tracy, we have employees all around the world working on very complex things, people, you know, without having ever met each other or worked in the same room. And that was really happening through technologies, you know, whether it's Slack or chat messages or online wiki forums or, you know, what we call Lighthouse at IBM, where we share intellectual capital, right? There were lots of different ways people were connecting. So what happened in the pandemic is that the companies that had some of the cultural constructs around, you know, it's okay to engage that way. It's okay to, you know, or, or it's uh, common to make friendships or have friendships evolve over, you know, distances and remotely found that, you know, they just moved seamlessly into that, right? And for the companies that struggled with, with that, you know, again, we're less about having the technology and more about people being used to uh, engaging, forming relationships, forming friendships and, you know, collaborative pods without technology. So again, it's less about the technology and more about how we work together. You know, if and I think we see this, right? I have teenagers. Now they're used to texting versus making a phone call, right? Now, if you're used to texting, it's a lot easier to never have a phone that, you know, you don't need the call function, right? So it, it's really a habit. It's a way we think about how we communicate. 
how we are comfortable communicating. And I think that is a learned behavior, right? So I've learned to text more because I have teenagers or, you know, I call them when I need to, but you, you, get, you get my drift. I think similarly in organizations, if you're able to provide different channels and different ways of access, we find that people actually learn and embrace them and they do make deals. They plan vacations without having met each other. Um, you know, we've had experiences where we had young, you know, kids come in fresh from, you know, undergrad or grad, um, working together in collaborative pods using technology, you know, planning ski trips, right? Never met each other, but a great group that works together. They're mm -hmm. all kind of partnering and operating as a team. So it can be done. Um, the question is, you know, who chooses to be in that situation or who's comfortable with that kind of, uh, you know, uh, maybe job interview process. Lots of people are, you know, taking jobs in the pandemic and after and after without ever physically meeting their teams. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that would kind of be my challenge to all of us, right? Not the why, but the why not? Mm. Uh, wh why can't we do it? So, so I'm like you, Tracy, I've worked remote. I live in Utah and I've supported teams that support the federal government for the past 15 years. So I've worked remote since 2010, most of the time, you know, going into the office occasionally, which I always said when I went into the office, those were the days I didn't get anything done. And <laughs> what was interesting for me, so this comes back to the culture thing, when everybody went remote was the abuse of the technology. And what I mean by that is I felt like we almost, we needed to train ourselves in etiquette. Like don't text me at three o'clock in the morning. And I had to train myself to just, you know, that's my responsibility to make sure my phone is on silent. Do not disturb, you know, when I go to bed, but also just, I, I was so good and am so good at getting in the zone and really focusing the Slack messaging and stuff. I nearly lost my mind when everybody went remote because it was constant barrage, constant mm -hmm. interruption. And there was no time for this, you know, you had to get into the zone and in, into the flow. And it's definitely gotten better. But um, what do you what do you think about that? Let's Elizabeth first. Do you have anything to say about that? And then Tracy, I'd love to sure. hear your thoughts. You know, that's a great example because I actually personally, I had the same experience and I think lots of my clients do, right? Because one, if you're across different time zones, everyone's slacking you when they're working, right? So right. I had to learn, me personally, I had to turn the notifications off, right? I had to discipline myself to not right. reply in the moment, but wait and not, you know, even if I looked at the text, because I couldn't bear to not look at it, <laughs> but tell myself not to. Uh, and in some instances, I think, you know, also be cognizant that sometimes we're responding or we're sending a text because, you know, I don't want to forget I'm working now and I make a note of it. Right. But the person at the other end is receiving it and thinking, oh, my God, like I have to, you know, it, it's an unseen, unexpected pressure that we may not be conscious about. Because we're not doing it to like, you know, get a response back. Uh, so I think some of those things, again, require a different way of working, like you're saying, right? When do we turn on? When do we turn off? And how much do we really listen to the implications of really having a remote workforce, both in terms of, you know, whether you're in time zone or different work-life balance expectations? 
For a long time, I have counseled those coming into their careers to be very specific about when they answer emails. Now, I know that the first time that they get their corporate phone and it's connected, that they're looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, looking at it. I realized that I had a responsibility to not send weekend emails. As a leader, I was getting, they were immediately responding. And I realized that I also had to train myself. Now, I still do cue things up when I have time. That's I have had the blessing of being able to have some latitude with, I'm going to focus a little bit more this evening because I'm going to go in and do something with my daughter tomorrow morning, right? Had some flexibility. So I have also trained myself to be very specific in my emails. I'm sending this tonight. Please don't read or take action till tomorrow, right? I let them know this is not a rush. If I need somebody, they also know that I'm like a bloodhound and I will find them. I have, you know, we will get a hold of each other if it's truly something that is that much of an emergency. But you brought up another good point. Prior to the pandemic, except for very, very close work relationships, those work spouses, I did not text with anybody in the workforce. Yeah. Um, I would Slack, I would use any of the other uh, tools that were available to me, but not that. When the pandemic started, I have two phones now. And I was very, I never thought that I would be the two phone person, the work phone and the life phone, but I do. Um, One of the reasons that that has become important is the ability, to your point, Carolyn, turn it off and put it over there because I'm now leaving this part. Mm -hmm. Now that all sounds like that. I have a really great division between career and life. And for me, it's very intermingled. I'm thinking about it all the time. And so if I know that Carolyn is thinking about it, I might feel okay sending you a Slack message or a text message at six or seven at night when we're both, I know that you're out there taking a walk or something. So there is a bit of tailoring it after you learn just the, the culture of it, your individual teams and people, but it's not coming in with rigid expectations. You've got to build that together because each team dynamic is so dramatically different. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about, you know, the push now is people coming back to the office, right? Mm -hmm. So we talked about this already a little bit and there's a bunch of different models that are being proposed. I want to talk about the hybrid work style first. So there's an article, it's called hybrid work for many is messy and exhausting. And we'll put links to all of these two in the show notes, but it says that about 60% of offices will adopt a hybrid work policy this year. So Elizabeth, what policy changes have you seen within IBM or otherwise surrounding the hybrid work model? Is that, you? it sounds like you guys were already hybrid to some extent. Right, right. Now, our IBM HR folks are the best, you know, folks to, to answer this question. They've done amazing work over the years for a truly hybrid model, right? Because uh, we've had different variations and policies. What we've seen across the board is that, you know, organizations are making different kinds of policies. We've seen quite a, you know, we have seen a, a trend definitely around the organizations that traditionally did not like remote work, lots of organizations in financial services, expecting people to be back in the office, uh, expecting people to be back for a defined number of days and a defined, you know, set of days. So people are being quite prescriptive about that. So we're definitely seeing that. And, you know, as you know, we've seen in the in the news, 
there's also been uh, quite a bit of pushback on some of those prescriptive um, you know policies so i think some of that is going to continue to evolve i don't think that has been completely sorted out now i think in the case of the federal government and really I mean, honestly every every industry right uh, what we're finding is that the the optionality of work has increased so if you know and we've seen this in the news right the the smartest kids who were looking at you know going to become bankers in a particular you know well known organization i won't name right are maybe thinking you know what i'm not i don't really care as much for the the hours of work and the expectation that i'd be in the office so i'm not going to do that i'm going to go to a startup now that plays out in the federal government as well it has for many years in terms of you know how do we compete for the best talent and there's a reason the government does need the best and brightest for you know uh, practice of national security or you know science and mm-hmm. e- space exploration a variety of things right so then then you know you the, the pivot has really then come to be more around what's the best way to attract the best talent in our industry and that's becoming the lens by which policy making is happening uh, so uh, the one other thing i just wanted to mention you know um there's an organization again you know i won't name but um as they looked at the variety of labs that they had across the country right pre pandemic everybody had to be in the labs doing their work in their teams but the pandemic required them to obviously be remote and the uh, the serendipitous um, you know outcome of that was that they found there was a lot more cross pollination and sharing of information and collaboration across labs which they hadn't had historically because people tended to work with their own physical teams so you know i i say that because i think organizations have recognized that there's been much good to come out of the the remote work and that the return to work answer is not a simplistic and not simple not a simplistic one of you know saying just get back into your offices um i i'm curious to see what you folks have seen too right i mean it's it's really uh, been involved in evolving strategy for most people i think i think that quite a number of people are asking why if i'm interviewing with you or if i already work with you just talk to me about the why um is it, it some firms have a tre- and some government agencies have a tremendous real estate footprint that they have that they own that they're not renting they can't give that space up so if you own that and and you have a, a dramatic dependency on that what do you do we're seeing that with higher education right now as well they've got huge campuses and they found out that we don't necessarily need all the students on campus what's the balance what's the change off between it so i'm finding as we're interviewing when we talk about work styles when we talk about hybrid when we talk about the possibility of being a full teleworker that's the government term um it came around i think it became law in 2010 that you could be a teleworker if you could show productivity but as you are trying to talk it through there are so many people asking me well what is the advantage that i have of being in person what's the advantage that we will have as a team and i think it's really valuable to have that discussion openly i also believe that that's where we're going to see a continued hybrid and we're not always going to be in the office on the same day so maybe i'm in the office monday tuesday because i've been given an option pick your two days trace um elizabeth you've been given your two options you pick tuesday wednesday carolyn picks wednesday thursday 
Carolyn, you and I are forever remote unless there's a party. (laughs) So we are always, I think we're always going to see a certain amount of hybrid. um, And that is causing us to need to get a lot smarter with protocol, get a lot smarter about, I think everybody knows where their mute button is now. And they didn't before. (laughs) Oh no, (laughs) that's debatable. But more people know it. But to your point, Tracy, so you're saying, okay, well, these companies... Um, higher education, they've got huge investments in real estate. Is that a good reason to have employees go back to the office if they don't want to? And we've seen that we can be productive and even in many cases, more productive, cross-pollinating, cross-talent pools by not going back into the office. That's my question is why is there this big push? I, I do think that it is going to... It's going to come to a head in the not too distant future. Um, my husband works with a mid-sized communications company, one of his many hustles. And they said, yep, we're all going back to the office. Pick your three days a week. How do I, what are those magic days? Well, how do I pick yeah. those magic days? But the reason is that they have an investment. It wasn't necessary because what he's doing there is no different than what he did at all. Zero difference in what he's doing on a day-to-day basis, except for the commute. Um, and I which think is that- a huge stressor. Mm-hmm. I remember I didn't think I didn't realize what a stress my commute was. And I live in Utah, you guys. It's not <laughs> stressful to drive here. <laughs> but the 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 release of stress when I stopped commuting, I was just like, whoa, this was a lot more than I realized. And you're Elizabeth, I think you're in New York, right? That's right. That's right. I'm in New York City. I mean, no way would I do that commute (laughs) or in DC. So here's the same article that I mentioned before about 60% are going to do hybrid. Um, Elizabeth, it talks about new frustrations emerging from hybrid work, including people having to keep track of their belongings. This sounds just like such a mess. Having multiple functional workspaces and ensuring their visits to the office coordinate like we've been talking about with their colleagues. Um, What have you done already being a hybrid company? How have you handled that? And are you seeing this being compounded now that we have more remote workers involved? Yes. So it is being compounded. I'll begin there. And two, I have to kind of go back to the team you've heard me um, talk about before. This is not new, Mm -hmm. right? So back in 2015, when you know I used to work with Ernst Young, right, um, and lots of other consulting firms had gone to hoteling. Lots of other, you know, um, consulting firms had shelves where people kept their belongings, and they, you know, when they came into the office on Fridays, which was the norm for lots of consulting firms, you know, you had a place to sit or you would book an office, and some of those things happened to optimize real estate, right? Because people were, you know. Um, traveling a lot, people Mm -hmm. weren't coming into the office as much. And some of them are just more progressive in terms of flexible work. So lots of consulting firms, lots of IT firms were there already, right? This is back in the, you know, seven, eight years ago. Um, So we shouldn't forget that. I think what we're seeing the, the pull and push around is, you know, that trend is coming to become more of an expectation in organizations, which did not or think they would need to adopt that. Uh, So 
I, I want to put that in that context because you know even as organizations are making these workplace rules about coming back a certain day it's really important for hr leaders to ask you know Tracy as you were saying like why i mean what is our real reason for this um i have um, i i know there's a publishing company um, based out of new york city and they actually said uh, when you know the pandemic was kind of phasing out and we weren't really sure what to do they actually had a rule that their senior executives should not come into the office because they felt that would put subliminal pressure on people to come in right because then there's other fomo or a feeling that you know this is mm-hmm. the expectation yeah so i think it's really a moment for reflection on what is our cultural construct of trust because a lot of what we're seeing you know there is trust i mean there is of course you know interpersonal dynamics right it is nobody likes to order in all the time we do like to go to restaurants and eat we enjoy the ambiance we enjoy the energy right, right? we like going to live events so let's not you know forget that right the question is more how much do we want to make it optional or you know more a positive thing rather than laying down a mandate so i just wanted to you know kind of mention that part of it um i think the other thing that um, you know we're seeing when organizations are trying to make some of these decisions as i said there is a trust construct and there is a task construct right so when you don't see people physically or you're only seeing them on webexes it requires you know you to have better clarity on what they're doing <laughs> what the outcomes are of your teams so it's actually requiring managers to be more attuned to you know what's what's being done yes. looking at the quality of output in, with a different construct and not, again not negative but it requires a, a deeper understanding and engagement with your teams and i think some of the pushback we're seeing is that you know sometimes it's not as easy to do that right if you're not used to trusting somebody you haven't seen or asking probing questions um, you know it's just going to be difficult so i think we have to acknowledge the the trust orientation the task orientation that and then of course the technology orientation because you know now we've all put technology in that can help us collaborate the question is how are we ensuring that it's done well it's done optimally and it it's done in a way that gives us that optionality of culture that says you know what we don't need to require you to come in or all we need you to require you know, we need to require you to come in whatever you decide mm-hmm. but you know looking at it from task task and technology i think would be really really important to do it's funny i'm going to respond to mm-hmm. your the first comment about um uh, carolyn this was your question about you know people having to take keep track of their devices and, and it sounds like a minor nit but the amount of side chatter at the start of a meeting when people are gathering when somebody has had to go into the office and they've got the perfect spread at home they've got extra monitors they didn't have them originally i was amazed how many senior executives didn't have a home office i have always had a home office Same. always my entire life from yeah. <laughs> the time i was first married we made sure that we had off and i grew up with that my father had an office in our house i just know that you have a space to work but i was surprised how many executives didn't have that space um and at one point i camera shamed a vp not because i thought i was camera shaming him but i'm like we're talking about remote work and it's just you and i i'm going to turn on my camera like, oh, i don't feel comfortable i said okay but why well he said i'll i'll tell you what i'll turn it on for a moment he had behind him a custom set of bookshelves and they were beautiful and they had on them board games and puzzles 
And I said, why are you concerned? Like, I thought maybe it had a bad hair day or he was wearing a sweatshirt. No, it was that he didn't feel that that was befitting somebody of his stature because he didn't have those places, those spaces. So he would have felt more comfortable being in his in his normal surrounds. So there's some of this is a a humanizing that's going on with our leadership. Um, but, But the entire pandemic has caused us to reevaluate expectations. How do you set those expectations? You made this point, Elizabeth. I think sometimes we need to be better managers and better leaders because we may have been able to imply things before, but I need to be much more direct. And we need to be very intentional about the trust equation, right? I need, what are my expectations for you? And how am I showing up for you? And, you know, are you worthy of, so there's a, a trust building that has to happen. And if I, if I don't trust you, I'm going to be kind of looking in, I'm going to be checking up on you. I'm going to be calling you multiple times. So I think that there's the trust aspect is going to become even more important and it's difficult especially if you're you're an introvert or you've always just gone into the office and sat there and did your bit and somebody walked by and they patted you on the head and they saw that you were there. It's causing us to grow a lot, a lot as humans, don't you think? Definitely, definitely. I think it's causing us to grow and it's also showing these kind of pressure points where people, you know, cannot or they're struggling, right? Um, because that, that aspect of trust is so important in collaboration and virtual work. And I think that's where organizations, you know, especially in the, in the post-George Floyd era, really have to think about how are we building trust so that any model of work works, right? So that people can opt in. You can't give that optionality if you don't have the technology, if you don't have the task orientation and the maturity and equally and most importantly, if you don't have the trust. Uh, and I think a lot of it we found to the pandemic, right, is not in the employees. It's in the minds of the managers, right? Mm-hmm. Managers mm-hmm. need to trust that, you know what, they're not goofing off on the beach or even if they are at the beach, they're doing their work. They're getting their work done. I don't care. They get, right. Exactly. I don't exactly. Care if you get your work done, I don't care if you're online at 6 a.m. and you right. take a break from yeah. noon to five. I don't, as long as it gets done. Now there's there's yeah. balance and there's a negotiation for it, but we're learning and that's not every role either. There's so many different types of roles and some of them do have time criticality and time dependencies on it, but it's, it does depend, right? Everything that we're talking about right now is a whole bunch of, it depends, contextualizing it right to the, to the organization. You know, I want to, I want to take us back for a second to this idea of enticing people. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an article Mm -hmm. called um, Welcome Back to the Office. Isn't this fun? Um, And it uh, they looked at several thousand organizations. I think Qualcomm was one of them. And they're trying to get folks to come back with incentives like you get fitness class on Wednesday or we'll have a take a break and have free food and T-shirts on Tuesdays. That might have really been something sexy to me when I was first out of college and I was scraping and eating, (laughs) eating, you know, dried noodles and, and hot dogs. But that, that for me is a, is a difficult one, but there seems to be a lot of enticement, attempts to entice. Are you seeing that as well, Elizabeth? Yes, definitely. And, you know, that aspect of helping people want or seek, right, that's the positive part of it. I think it's becoming really important because the one thing we've seen with all the shifts in work 
and life, right? The optionality has become very evident. I mean, we were hearing about, you know, people who worked for six months and then took six months to be a scuba instructor in the Caribbean, right? That optionality, right? We saw the rise of Uber and Airbnb and the, the decline of ownership, right? We've seen that in consulting firms where, you know, we had senior managers who would work for years to get that office with the window. But then they found out that they didn't care about the window. So, you know, that was not enough to hold them to, you know, the path to partnership, right? So that optionality, as more and more people have come, um, in, you know, connected with their own sense of purpose and their own aspirations, I think the optionality has increased, which then requires us to really need to attract people, to help people, you know, need, want and seek to align with other organizations. And again, that requires a very different construct of the employment brand, the manager relationship, and one very practical aspect of learning and development and the task, you know, how people perform their tasks. And, and I just wanted to mention that because, you know, in this context of virtual work and optionality and attracting people, you, one of the things that actually helps attract and keep retain people as we all know is that you know it is the impetus the opportunity to learn and improve yourself so as organizations are trying to do all of these things the one of the best carrots one of the best um, you know most interesting things to millennials to younger folk are the chance chance to learn to apply their skills to find interesting work to find teams of people they like and they can work with so Yes, I think, you know, the how do we attract has also changed. It's not about just being this great brand. It's about being ethical, you know, making choices like we saw with some of the technology firms, right? We've seen an exodus of people leaving because they did not agree with some choices. So um, that, that whole attraction um, rubric is much more complex, right? It's um, so many dimensions now that we hadn't thought um, would, would be required these days, but I think that's definitely what I'm seeing. You know, Elizabeth, How you, is, and, yeah. you and I worked together um, in part with my time with MITRE and from a federal context and a U.S. government context. You know, tracking back to something we said at the beginning, I worked with a global firm prior to this, and I thought nothing of it. The IT was in place. The federal government is still, there are still pockets where they have a difficult time. You'll see a lot if you're if you follow LinkedIn and follow many of the DOD's boards. Um, there's a strong call right now that says fix our IT. I love the mission. I want to do this, but if it takes me two hours to boot up because I've got encryption on encryption and and there's not necessarily weighing the pros and cons of the different types of choices. We're not talking about top secret stuff. We're talking about the things that that can be done remotely. There is still a need for, in some places, for the tech to catch up. It's not the same everywhere yet. So hopefully we'll see in the next, I would say, um, 18 months to 24 months, more democratization of that that equal access to the to the technologies across the, the federal space. But there's I noticed something that I saw recently, uh, and maybe I just wasn't aware of it before. So many working a four-day week, mm -hmm. uh, and that's happening quite a bit in the federal space. Um, and it looks as though we're seeing more and more corporations experiment with this. Um, truly, can I get 100% of the productivity with 
eighty percent of the of the time in the office. Uh, and was it Kickstarter, Carolyn? And that mm-hmm. was the first one trying this a couple of maybe as a month well, or maybe. What's interesting is Kickstarter might be one of the first ones in public sector, but you know, state and local governments have been doing this for years, like a decade or more. Mm-hmm. They've been doing the four day week. So, but yeah, you're right. Kickstarter was one of the first recently. <laughs> Does it, is it, is it? Uh, 40 hours in four days is it for 10 hour days or is it 32 hours and i think that that's become an interesting part where there's a lot of data being gathered right now with these experiments can i give you the same quality of outcomes if i set the expectation high enough right i still want the same amount of work but you don't have to travel in i will make sure that you have what you need in your remote location and you can do, you'll do that with four days instead of, of five days. You know what drives me bonkers is why are we still punching time clocks for most of these jobs? Why are we saying a 40 hour or a 32 hour work? Why aren't we just saying do your job? Because of the, the different business models that we have involved. It depends on your, your area of expertise. It depends on the business that you're doing. It, um, some things are built by hour. Yeah. Some things are built by hour. A- absolutely. Fair enough. Some are, some are, you know, firm. It's a fixed fee for whatever that thing is at that point. I hope you don't care how many hours I spend. It's up to me to be effective and efficient right. with it. But unfortunately, is it, it it does depend on on what you're doing and how the more effective that you can get, right? The more that you'll be able to to cut down on that time. Do you think, Elizabeth, we're going to see this four-day work week become more? Um, prevalent? I think there's increasingly a trend towards exploring that. So let me begin with that, right? Like, you know, Belgium had, they they set that up. The UK had a pilot going on and you said the federal government has been so doing just this recently, for a while. Belgium and UK, are, are you saying like in the last couple of years? In the last couple of years. So hmm. I think Belgium basically had, uh, you know, uh, put this pilot out, uh, gosh, last year. And the UK was also, you know, uh, essentially looking at it. Um, gosh, um, I would say probably, well, uh, they had like a 30 day, well, they had a, a pilot that they had a few companies looking at for six months, actually, mm-hmm. as of April 4th. So the, the UK basically, you know, had about 60 companies do that in April. Belgium was a little earlier than that. Um, so, you know, we were definitely seeing that happening right across the board. Um, the, the question is, uh, you know, what's it going to take to embrace it? Because, you know, as Tracy said, you know, back in the day, we thought 20 years ago, we'd all be working three days because nobody needed to work five days, right? <laughs> um, so We need more uh, AI so I think to like make it so we can really just work three hours, three days, three hours yeah. a week. That would be great. <laughs> that no. would be great. That would be great. I got to tell you that, so there was a, Japan also had jumped on this and did an experiment just before the pandemic, the year before the pandemic. And I don't remember what the outcomes were. I'll have to look that back up. Um, But, you know, the, we, as we trend towards, at least in tech and in the federal government, we're really focusing now on talking about outcomes and being outcomes based. I believe that that will help us to get towards what we're talking about here today. 
What is it that I need to achieve? Mm-hmm. What is it that we need to deliver? What's the mission value or the business value? What are we, what are we, tra- what are the OKRs? What do we, let's talk about those things and then determine how we get there. And using lowercase agile, not talking about methodologies, I'm talking about being nimble, right? Small experiments. Is this working? What do we have to do to change? One of the biggest pushbacks that I see during all of this is actually with folks who are a bit more settled in their career path and have a lot of muscle memory. And they're really having a hard time with this change. Mm. Um, It really, I think the, I've seen a lot of folks who are really late career, but they were already dynamic addressing it. So, but there's a good segment, a good segment that has this muscle memory in place right now. And they're having a very difficult time embracing this type of change. Even when you say, let's, let's pivot towards outcomes instead of hours. Yeah. Well, and that brings us back right to the beginning, Elizabeth, when you said this is a cultural thing, right? Really more than anything. And as we wrap up here, I'm still at a loss as to why everybody's so hell bent on getting butts in seats, especially where we've had two years to experiment. And guess what? We know this works in many cases. So where it works, let it keep working. It's, you know, if people are happy and the ones that want to go back into the office, great. I don't know. Maybe that's too chaotic, though. What do you what do you think, Elizabeth? <laughs> Is that just too Lord of the Flies here? I, I don't <laughs> think so. I, I think we have to have to accept that the optionality of work and location and employment are here to stay. We may not like it, but, you know, um, employment for life left long time ago a long right? long 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 time ago for, for good good and bad so i think some of these changes are here to stay it's really up to the organizations to decide how do we craft our brand and that that welcoming attractive you know uh, experience because tracy the other point i think you know you touched upon and Kellen, you do on the on the use of ai and the experience of doing work that is going to be so important in how we attract people because if you're trying to get the best and brightest and compete with you know a, a big paycheck on wall street or you know in silicon, in silicon valley you're going to have to think about ways just to make sure that you get the best talent still in right so that has to be the the, the prism the rubric of how we evaluate some of these choices um, I, I do think it's a little more difficult, right, in the, in the federal sector, the state and local, because um, it's maybe not, there's not as much room to craft very nimble solutions. So I do think that's where a you know, policy look needs to be, uh, it needs to be a policy level look to see how are we going to ensure that, you know, the federal government, the talent pool that we have and we aspire to bring in continues to be the best and the brightest. And it's mission aligned, but it's also excellence aligned. And I think those two things, you know, are, are really significant because if you kind of elevate that conversation, you see the implications of that are pretty significant, especially kind of in the new geopolitical order that we're, you know, we're all facing and seeing. So I think there's bigger things here than just, you know, butts and seats that um, Chico's and uh, federal CHROs have to consider as they try and advocate for this kind of flexibility. Well, the Office of Personnel Management has put out guidance on teleworking and remote working. Um, A number of agencies have come out and put out their first round draft of their strategies. They're trying to react to what our our Commander-in-Chief is asking for. Um, I think we're going to see this become an employee's market of sort 
Um, mm-hmm. Like just like with the Great Resignation, we're seeing a spike, a temporary. I, I believe this is Bannon's opinion. It'll be a temporary spike in wage right now, right? But we will see people factoring this in. It's no longer I want the highest paying job, even if it has the most amount of stress, even if it has the most amount of hours. It's not about money only. It's really that blending and that balancing. How does this fit my lifestyle? How does this, you know, I want ongoing continuous learning. I want to achieve things. I want to feel like I'm part of a team. You're going to see people defining their needs for their, for their jobs a bit differently. It's only been the last few years that I've really heard people ask me, tell me about your corporate culture. And what do you do about team building? And how do you address when there are differences in, in opinion in your team? I never, 20 years ago, nobody asked me that. It was, <laughs> how much money am I going to make? And what time do you need me on the spot? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, this is one of those ones that it's cross-cutting to Elizabeth's point. It's not just government. Um, it is everywhere. It's everybody. Uh, and we've got a lot that's going to happen in the next couple of years. I would really love for us to touch base a couple more times. Um, I would too. This would be great to come back in a year and say, what's happened? And yeah. look at it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it all reminds me. So I was looking at your personal website, Elizabeth, before we joined. And I love some of the quotes you have on it. You're all about people, which is good since you're HR. And everything that we've been talking about reminds me of a quote by Jane McGonigal. She wrote a book called Super Better, but she's a she's a gamer. She's PhD in gaming, right? And she says in the book, if our work right. doesn't bring us joy, yes. right? That's where right. I was going with this. I just totally yes, I, I, I think I think I think I know. No, the no, opposite no, I, of work is not quote. play. The opposite of work is depression, right? That is something along that line. Because the your work should play. bring you joy. It's the opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is, oh man, I'm just going to give it up right there. What but I'm going to put in the link to this right afterwards, right? Oh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth. Yes. <laughs> we, no, no, we can add it and we can add it. But, but you, you know, you reminded me of one. I don't remember the quote myself either, but you know, it's, it's almost like the opposite of happiness is not sorrow. It's apathy. Right? Yes. It's not doing anything. It's just being like in this funk of, dysfunction and you know no movement right and, and I, I think that was part of the uh, the, uh, the idea there I, I just wanted to mention one quick thing before we run out of time and you know Tracy you touched upon this and you did too Carolyn the role of technology in making all of this happen right yeah so we can we can harness AI to provide personalized learning. We can harness blockchain to provide, you know, validated credentials. We can help people sit wherever they are and still contribute in a way that, you know, helps us get the best and brightest. And I think, you know, when I kind of go back to the the trifecta of trust, task, and technology, technology can make all of these things happen for us. So I, I just wanted to, again, put that out there because, you know, as we have senior leaders in the federal sector and everywhere else think about it, if we don't use technology that you know to its maximum potential you know we we kind of will be missing the boat a little bit here and please elizabeth you write about this in your latest book so can you tell us a little bit about your book we're going to leave our listeners with your book sure sure happy to happy to so you know the great tony morrison said right if the if a book that you want to read hasn't been written write it so that was kind of why i wrote this because i'd been talking about blockchain technology in the talent ecosystem for many years. Tracy, you know, kind of like you're right, 2016, 2017, it was early. 
But what blockchain technology does is it helps us validate credentials, digital identity. It helps us capture information in ways that makes validation, you know, or, or what we call zero trust possible mm-hmm. because you can ensure that the technology is immutable, right? The provenance is proven. And when you apply that to the world of work and the talent ecosystem, it can give us a way to harness the potential and skills of people no matter where they sit. It can help disrupt the world of education and college degrees. It can help us disrupt access issues, right? Because that's what privilege gives us. It has access. If you don't can't afford a college degree, but you're still good, you can still succeed in the world. And I think that's what um, you know the application of all of these technologies can give us, give the global community. Well, so Elizabeth, see, will you promise to come back and talk with us specifically about your book? Because I think that'd be another fantastic session. I, I do too. This is this is our next one, Tracy. And I thank you so much, Elizabeth, for taking time with us today. This is a good conversation for me. Tracy knows this one gets my blood boiling. <laughs> so thank you. It's a lot of fun. It's been well, a lot of fun as always, ladies. Thank you so much yeah. for including me. Thank Bye. you to our listeners for listening today. Please like and share this episode. Give us a review. And we will be here next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. 